Bannon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Happy, happy, happy 2019, guys. This is the Restaurant Fiction Podcast, where we review every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as talk about the screenwriting process. I am your host, Monis Rose. Now, why is 2019 so far an incredible year? Because we have a new episode of fucking bitching episode. That's right. Today, we are talking about and reviewing Joe's Pie Diner. Now, why and where and how have you even heard of Joe's Pie Diner? Well, it is in a small little movie that turned into a big, huge movie that turned into an even bigger, huge international sensation Broadway play called Waitress. That's right. You can watch it. You could see it live. However, whatever format, whatever. So we are reviewing that, and we are talking to the producer of both Waitress, the play, and the musical on all platforms, whether it be Broadway, London, etc., the traveling, whatever, Michael Roy. Anyway, without further ado, here is the review of Joe's Pie Diner and the interview with Michael. Check it out. Guys, welcome back to the Restaurant Fiction Podcast. Today we are speaking with Michael Royf. Why is Michael on the podcast today? Well, Michael loves pies, and so do we. Not just pies, but diners. Because, guys, diners are quintessential to America. They are Americana, especially in the South. Many diners, you know, are the same. But one peculiar diner that we went to was all about the pie. And that is Joe's Pie Diner. What is it about the pies? First of all, it's all in the title. It really is that it's not just your chocolate cream pie, your Boston cream pie, your strawberry rhubarb pie. We're talking about names like the bad baby pie. We're talking about I don't want Earl's baby. In a way, we want to order a pie with that title. Now, what is, though, I don't want... Earl's Baby's Pie, that is more of a savory pie. It's actually more of a quiche. What really was interesting about this sort of pie, there wasn't any kind of milk, there wasn't any cream, and the brie did not infuse in with the egg mixture. Before we get into another pie, what I really liked about the uh, baking is that they use butter. Personally, I'm conservative with my crust. I like cold butter. I don't use shortening. I don't like shortening. I don't like lard. Does it really add to the flavor? That can be debatable, but I think it really adds to the color. And these are very picture-worthy type pies. We did not do the Old Joe's Horny Pass pie, but there is the Strawberry Chocolate Oasis pie. It is actually more of a tart. Yes, Joe's Pie Diner, they 
use pies for tarts and quiches, you know, cobblers. It really all is pie. But on this particular one, it's a very thick Oreo crust that's like mile high. And then even in the actual cream setting, there's like hints of espresso and cinnamon. It really makes the flavors pop. Anyway, what is though the contest winner or what would be the contest this would be the mermaid pie the excuse me the marshmallow mermaid pie and why because it's kind of kitty friendly i mean it's uh it's it got it's like mermaid it got like this food coloring with little marshmallows on top i mean come on how can it not be a, a winner winner chicken dinner anyway as for us though at restaurant fiction yes we tried all what 27 varieties of these pies with these peculiar titles but when it comes down to it we just want a slice of apple with a hot melted slice of cheddar anyway michael that's joe's pie diner what'd you think what was your review what's your take what would you like to add enhance debate now it's always fun going back to the diner waitress doesn't exist without that diner and that was one of the things that we said when we were looking for it it was constantly like this is a character in this we have to find it there was a point on set when we we're shooting the film our caterer used to have pie every day at lunch and adrian and i looked around at each other probably two weeks in and we we're like to be honest i'm more of a cake person than a pie person we both were we went to the caterer and said you know is there a chance of switching this up every now and then so we did. You know, but pies have been a big part of my life since since I met Adrian, since I read the script the first time. Adrian used to talk about House of Pies on Vermont as a an inspiration for what this was supposed to be. This was before Pie Hole existed, so, you know, it's an, an earlier time here in L.A. We location scouted for a long time to try to find the diner that she had in her mind and eventually found this one out in Canyon Country. What's the best memory you have in making Waitress? Uh, you know, it's funny. That's something I get asked occasionally. And I think I have a different answer every time. But as you were talking about the diner, I started to think about, in the film, there are these overhead shots of these pies being made. And that was always part of the concept that Adrian had. It, this was something that was always part of her vision. And we didn't get it right the first time we tried to shoot it. And so a small group of us, the DP, me, Adrian, and our props uh, folks, and, and our line producer as well, all agreed to kind of stay on one night after we shot all day on this stage. And then we shot these overhead pie things all night. Not quite all night. Maybe all night. <laughs> it was really long. What are your duties on Waitress as a producer? Waitress was the first movie I'd ever produced, so I had no idea what I was doing. I looked at it as my job was to produce every single thing that Adrienne needed in order to make the film that she envisioned. That is still, 14 films later, my belief on what producing is. My job is to just deliver. I just have to produce whatever you need. So in a lot of ways, I always think of producers as a glorified assistance. There's a responsibility for the overall thing. Adrian made it very easy for me to run because she was very clear on what she wanted all the time, um, and she was very nice about it. You know, sometimes people say people are clear about things, and they, it's code word for their tyrants. She wasn't. She just had a very clear vision, and she articulated that, and so then I could go scurry off and figure out how to make certain things happen. We had this interesting setup because we had cast Carrie Russell, and Carrie got a role in Mission Impossible 3, like three days after we met with her. And so we pushed for about six months before we shot the film, and Adrian and I didn't have much else to 
do. I mean, she had a young child and she had, I mean, she had a life, but like the, this was the project that we were working on. So there was a lot of time spent just on the phone talking about everything. And so six months later, when we were finally on set, we'd kind of built up a rapport where we could look at each other and know what the other person was thinking. She could come off set, you know, because she'd been, she was acting in it too, and sort of look at me and I'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go do this. Like, you know, I know what it is that you want. So the long, that was a long answer. The short answer is, was my job to just get it all done. Uh, the people out there and our listeners who don't know who um, Adrian is, she is the late, uh, rest in peace, uh, director and writer of Waitress. Take me through the process of Waitress, from its origin story to its legacy. Well, someone passed me the script. A, a friend of a f- friend had, someone was working with Adrian, and then this was something where we, we shot it on spec. You know, we hoped that someone might like it, and it went to Sundance, and Fox Searchlight took a chance on it. They held that baton for a while. The only rights that we carved out, we sold this overnight at Sundance. It was one of those things. Again, not realizing that that might be a high watermark for me, but it, it we premiered that day. We sold it overnight, and that kind of like Sundancey thing that happens sometimes. And at five in the morning, our sales rep, Andrew Hurwitz, decided he wanted to be a hero and start asking for additional rights. Business affairs person from Fox Searchlight said, "No, do you know how much we're paying you?" And he said, "Okay, why? Well, you know, I, we just want the." sequel rights, you can't the sequel rights. We want the TV remake rights, you can't the TV remake rights. Maybe we can just carve out soundtrack, you can't carve out soundtrack. We were thinking about putting out a cookbook, you can't put out a cookbook. What about live stage rights? He says, if you promise to stop asking me for shit, I will give you the fucking stage rights. And that was five in the morning, and we got them. And didn't think anything of it. I mean, I just thought this was some Pyrrhic victory that we wanted to walk away with something or whatever. And some number of months later, I got a call in my office from Barry Weisler who said, I saw your movie and it's, it's fantastic and we want to turn your little movie into a big Broadway musical. And one thing led to another and we're on tour now. We're still playing Broadway and going to be opening London top of the year. And I don't know, this diner's all over the place. The fact that we're still talking about Waitress, we shot this in 2005, this is crazy to me. It would be completely mind-blowing to Adrian uh, if I could somehow tell her this. I think the moral of that story is that good things happen at five in the morning. <laughs> I think that's the opposite. <laughs> I think that's never true. Um, but in this one case, something could happen at five in the morning. Exactly. What about Waitress resonates with you? You know, it's interesting. What resonates with me now is probably different than what resonated with me then. You know, then I was attracted to the Willy Wonka quality of the sort of this magical pie thing. This strong woman who needed to find herself and figure out who she was and the way it ends and that she doesn't need the man. That all resonated with me. Uh, Now I have a daughter, a three-year-old, and that resonates with me as a parent in a different way. What Seeing my wife go through that moment of like, what does it mean to be pregnant and what does it, how does it change your life and, you know, what do you or don't you want? And uh, one of the things Adrian and I used to talk about all the time was that piece for the Jenna character, for the waitress, was that she was verbalizing and vocalizing thoughts that a lot of people might have but feel uncomfortable talking about. You know, you're supposed to be excited the second you get pregnant. You're supposed to want certain things or not want it. And while that always what appealed to me in the making of the film, I thought was unique and interesting and universal in its own way because we all have our things that we feel like we have to pretend we, you know, we are, we, we think a certain way. It now has a more 
very specific meaning to me, kind of understanding what it's like to be a parent. When you want to celebrate a happy occasion, what's your pie of choice? I always used to answer Boston cream pie. If we're being a traditionalist with regards to pie, I'd probably pick an apple pie. I like a chicken pot pie. I do like savory pies, yeah. What are your tips for producing with other people? It's like anything. You have to find people who compliment you, not in the sense of complimenting you, who have complementary skill sets, people who can work together. The best groups I've worked with, it's when we've all subscribed to the theory that the best idea wins and that we can divide and conquer and that can all kind of support each other and that no one person's ego needs to get in the way. That's easier said than done. I mean, I screw that up every single day. But the the key is just working with people who you trust and you like. This last movie that I just shot this summer, one of the best things about it for me was I really genuinely believed in and respected all of the people I got to work with. It makes it massively easier. Producing is a not understood role in things. And I think a lot of people come out of film school or they come out of however they sort of got here not knowing what a producer does. A producer's a person who gets the money, they're a suit, they're a whatever it is. They fight the fights with the studio or, you know, they're my representative. I look at it as the job of producer is to do whatever needs to be done to get that vision onto screen and then in front of humans. Get it in front of an audience. In terms of the relationship between the writer and producer, how can a writer enhance the role of a producer? And so for a writer to utilize that, it's figure out what it is that you want. Figure out what it is that you need. Find a producer that you trust to be able to give you notes. I don't believe notes should be about, like, what do I think is good as a producer? If I, if I want to do that, I should go write something. My job is to help you get to where you want to go. The note isn't, I think it would be funnier if blah, blah, blah. It's, well, here's why this isn't really working. I know what you're trying to do. Like, what you want in this moment is to feel for character X or character Y. That's not playing right now. What if we tried A, B, or C? What makes a restaurant or bar pop on the page? Specificity. It's the same thing that makes anything pop on the page. It's being specific, knowing what that is. It's the same way you can read a certain character and like, oh, I know who that character is. I recognize that voice. That's interesting. It's the same way with a location, certainly with a restaurant or bar. It's what is that restaurant or bar, not just you know, interior generic restaurant, which sometimes is what a story calls for. It's like, you know, this is the most boring place in the world. And that's what, that's the point that you're trying to get across. But what makes it pop? The specifics. There is a place, it's called the Bagel. And I have this distinct memory. I was a kid, there was a hurricane and everyone lost power for like a week, but the Bagel had their power back on. And we were over there and like everybody in the neighborhood sort of like come in to go get food. That's what Joe's Pie Shop is supposed to be. It's that place where this is where the community comes. They know that that's the place they can go to. After the success of Waitress, how many scripts came across your desk that focused on a restaurant or bar? (laughs) I wish that was where I got pigeonholed into. One of the unfortunate things in this business is that people think less about the creative and more about the business of these things. And so the takeaway was, oh, you know how to make million-dollar movies, not you know how to make movies about interesting women or restaurants or food or something like that. Got a lot of million-dollar scripts. The great thing about working in a low-budget space is necessity being the mother of invention, you really do get a chance to like throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. There's a creativity that is required of doing things on a low budget that like doesn't even exist at higher budgets. But there is the other problem, which is there's all this creativity that you want to exhibit that you can't afford to, you know. 
it'd be fun to work in bigger, bigger spaces too. How do you find your writers? It varies wildly. Scripts come to me in a bunch of different ways. Writers, you know, as well. There are a lot of things that come very much through the system these days from an agent or a manager or another producer or whatnot. Uh, but then other things that sort of it's a friend or a friend of a friend and a reference of somebody and a we think you might like this thing. And then you get these sort of cold emails. It's very rare that something comes from that. If it's a personalized email, I will tend to respond. If it's clearly a mass email, I just click next. What advice would you give to a smart, driven, emerging writer or producer? Make stuff. Write stuff. Produce stuff. We come out here to do stuff. We should do stuff. Uh, one of the things that I hated when I first got out here was that everyone wants to sit around at coffee shops and talk about all the stuff they want to make instead of actually making it. And the truth is, now more than ever, it, there are no barriers to entry in the sense that you can go shoot something with your phone. You can go, and I'm not suggesting, I understand that it's not, it's the rare movie that goes and becomes a giant blockbuster that you shot on your iPhone. But the point is, your first thing or your 15th thing doesn't need to be, you know, a giant Marvel movie. It's a stepping stone. It's a calling card. It's a way to, to exercise those muscles and to learn. The more you can do, the better your chances are. What advice should they ignore? Oh, what advice? Probably the same advice. Um, <laughs> I have no idea if my advice is any good. I don't know, the naysayers. I, I, there's a lot of people tell you how hard it is and how you can't make it. And I, mean, I remember the thing that they used to say in like acting classes of like, well, if you, uh, if you don't want it so badly that you can't think of, the, there's nothing else that you could ever want, then you should just leave. And you know, like, is, I, these are nonsense. Like, yes, it's hard. The odds are terrible to try and you know, break through in any kind of real way in this industry. But that's true for so many things. And if you want to do something, do it. If you think you have a voice, use it. Cultivate it. Learn. You know what? I said that my first advice is the one you should ignore. But my second, the thing that you should ignore, you should also ignore that. Because there's a piece where, you know, I just said, ignore the naysayers. And you should ignore the naysayers. But also take in what the naysayers are saying. I think the thing that I always try so hard, I'm so scared of being that kid on the first week of American Idol who's like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. They don't know what they're talking about. It's like, no, no, you're like, you can't sing. You need to have that ability to kind of look at yourself and say, what am I doing right and what am I doing wrong? We live in a society right now where people don't like to take ownership for things they do improperly or they get, they get wrong or flaws that they, we all have so many flaws. Those are chances to get better at things. And so ignore the naysayers, but what, what are their notes? What is it that they, what are they saying you're doing wrong? And maybe there's something to take from there. Find what you're good at. Work on what you're not good at. Try to pivot towards what you have a chance at. But, but never give up. There's no reason to give up. How do you stay consistently creative and not plateau? I don't know that I have. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, how do you stay consistently creative? I, you know, you got to push yourself and you got to surround yourself with people who push you. It was the thing I was saying before about like who you work with when you're producing or when you're making stuff. People who question you. I always say whenever I hire anyone for any position, one of the things that I say is I don't need you to yes me. I already agree with me. I, I, I need you to tell me when I'm totally wrong, when I, you think there's a better way of doing something, a smarter way to do something. What are your favorite restaurants in L.A.? 
I love Dantana's. Maybe my number one restaurant. And guys, for those of you who don't know, that's the Italian joint by the Troubadour in West Hollywood. That's the one. And it's a total, you know, checkered tablecloth, red sauce, Chianti hanging from the ceiling place. I love the food. I really just like it there. I like their veal parm. (laughs) No harm in veal parm. Where do you go for a slice of good cake? Susie Cakes is pretty great. They've got good cake. My wife and I and my brother-in-law opened a candy shop in Los Feliz, and it's down the street from Alcove. They have some good slices of cake. I don't know where their cake's from. I don't know if they make it, but their cake's solid. You make your own homemade candies? We don't. We source candies from all over the world. We get to go to the candy convention every year now, so that's fun. What's that like? Candy convention's awesome. Candy convention is like Halloween for adults, but you don't have to dress up, and it's great. (laughs) It's really good. So how do you limit your three-year-old daughter in that world? It's funny, because the candy shop is called Tuesday's Sweet Shop. My daughter's named Tuesday, so it's named after her daughter. She's taken a lot of ownership over it. Sometimes it's tricky when she sees... People come in and take what she calls her candy, but that's the goal is to sell candy to people. So we're trying to her through that. But you know, she's great and she loves it and she has a lot of fun and they're baby teeth. So we'll, you know, she'll new teeth will grow in. What's your favorite candy at Tuesday's sweet shop? Oh, favorite candy. So it's a bulk candy store. It's like it's 160 drawers of different bulk stuff, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. We carry these dark chocolate peppermint creams that I think are awesome. I haven't really seen them elsewhere. If like a York peppermint patty and a junior mint had a baby, this would be it because it's like soft on the inside. It's more like a junior mint, but they're bigger and it, they're, those are, I think those are awesome. What are you ordering at Joe's Pie Diner? Definitely the Chocolate Oasis. That's always been the one that I wanted. The other one that's in both that I, I love is the Mermaid Marshmallow Pie. Uh, that one's it's my kind of, but it's funny because I said I like apple pies and I said I like Boston cream pies and the truth is those two are so different from that. But, uh, but those, those are legit. Where can people find you, Michael? I'm around. I'm just trying to keep working and trying to make stuff. So uh, I don't know if anything I make pops up, come check it out. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been fun. Michael, that was incredible. Like Michael said, everybody, if you want to reach out to him or see his work, go on his IMDb or just see Waitress. I mean, come on. It's playing. It is playing on Broadway. I believe, I don't know, but check the Twitter, check the London, check the Waitress musical page, see if it's playing still in London. Uh, Just watch it. Whatever. All the above. Answer D. All the above. Always answer D. All the above. And as for me, my name is Monis Rose, and you can listen to any other podcast episode on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere where you get your podcasts as well as go to our website, www.restaurantfiction.com. All right, guys, it is already off to a beautiful 2019. And as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to... Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night.
At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.